Welcome to our podcast, and my name is Sharifa Sophia. Today, it is my honor to introduce you to the father of microfinance, Honorable Chancellor of the Al-Bukhari International University and Nobel Laureate Professor Muhammad Yunus. Professor Yunus founded the Grameen Bank in 1983 and is the recipient of countless prestigious awards, the most recent one being the Olympic Laurel, which we will speak about later today. Professor Yunus, thank you for your time. Professor Muhammad Yunus once said that poverty is created not by the poor, but by the system that we build. It is an externally imposed phenomenon. So unless we make amendments to the system in place, we will struggle to reach the poor. Professor Yunus, it is your approach in tackling poverty eradication that inspired me to take a step back and really think about the fundamental issues facing developing nations, how they were perpetuated, and ways to tackle them at the grassroots level. Thank you, Professor Yunus. I'm going to dive straight into the questions. <laughs> First, how can social businesses address the root cause of poverty? I'm sure you've come across so many social businesses. Which ones stood out to you the most and why? And what can we learn from this? Well, thank you for raising the question. This is the fundamental of the, all the problem that we see around us. Uh, when people ask uh, why uh, people remain poor, get poor, and my answer always is poverty is not created by poor people. If you make it clear in your mind, then the rest of the thing will become easy. So it's created by the system that we build. It's a kind of imposition on people. Good people turn into poor people because system kind of pushed them into it. So if you want to take them out of poverty, you cannot do it successfully by just addressing the poor people. Piece by piece, you want to take them out of poverty. Because system will push them back again, or continue to push them back. So that's no solution at all. And I've been clarifying this by saying, uh, give the image of a bonsai tree. You take the seed of the tallest tree in the forest and put it in a flower pot. The tree grows, it sprouts, seed sprouts. But it will be half a meter high. It will be exactly like the beautiful tree that you have seen in the forest, but a tiny, like tiny version of it. Uh, and we love it. We call it uh, bonsai. And we keep it in the corner of our house. And you wonder why it didn't grow as tall or as big, as beautiful as the one in the forest. Answer is simple. There's nothing wrong with the seed. We picked the best seed possible. So there couldn't be anything wrong. So something went wrong because you put the seed in a flower pot. The seed didn't get all the soil that it needed so that it can get the nutrients out of it and grow tall. So I said, poor people are bonsai people. There's nothing wrong with their seed. Simply, system didn't give them the space to grow as tall as everybody else. So if you want them to grow as tall as everybody else, you have to change the system. So the system, we, alternative system that we create will have enough space for everybody, and everybody will be out. And that's why I started focusing on policies and institutions. One in institutions I uh, focus uh, for a long time and uh, trying to address the, address the issue very concretely, directly, is a financial institution. I said, look at that. Financial institution deny all the services to more than 50% of the population of the entire world. 
They said it cannot be done. So we created an alternative banking system called microcredit. We created a bank, Grameen Bank, which lends to those people and very successfully answered every single question they may have in their mind. But still, they don't do it. They give you awards. They give you recognition. They give you all kinds of praise for the work you do, but they won't do the work itself. So that's the thing which goes wrong, that the institutions don't want to change. So our main thing would be to recognize the root cause of poverty and work on the institutions and policies and create an alternative system which will remove all those walls around the poor people so that they can grow. And financial institution, of course, will be at the head of it. Another misconception that we sell around uh, to economics, we have to redesign all those conceptual framework too. So back to social businesses, what is the most outstanding social business that you have come across? And what can we learn from that specific example? Well, there are many outstanding social businesses around the world that we either we created or somebody else created it. Uh, the most recent one is a very outstanding one, is uh, Patagonia, which is a huge company based in uh, Spain. Uh, it's a global company, multi-billion dollar company, owned by per one person. So he decided he will transform this company into a company owned by a trust. And all the profit that will come to this company will be devoted for tackling global warming, stop global warming. So this is a good case of social business. Social business is a company which is not interested in making profit, is interested in solving problems. So this is one case where uh, someone, individual who already owned the whole company, just by one decision, transformed the company into a social business and so on. We have created a lot of those companies uh, in healthcare, for example. Uh, we created uh, healthcare hospitals, eye care hospitals, particularly. Uh, the interesting part of social business is uh, it's a company, it's a business, it uh, charges fee, charges prices for the products and services that you provide. Uh, and you become self-sustaining and you, provide, you create a surplus, but nobody takes the surplus out of the company. Surplus is plowed back into company. So when we do the first eye care hospital, it comes to the break-even point. It takes three years, four years, and it comes to the break-even point, and it starts generating surplus. So if you continue for the next four years or three years, you have enough money already surplus to invest in another healthcare, uh, eye care hospital. Uh, so you continue to have the one hospital producing another hospital. And you that the second hospital will also come to the break-even point, also generate surplus. It will be faster now to create the third hospital. Now we have four eye care hospitals. And uh, when they all have generated surpluses, first two are generating surpluses, second two will be generating surplus soon. And then every year you can uh, set up a healthcare, uh, eye care hospital. So this is a kind of self-propagating system. It expands by itself. Only thing you're denying that the owner will not take any profit out of it. It's devoted to solving problem, and uh, eye care is a huge problem in Bangladesh, just like any other country, and you want to address that. So this is another example of it. Uh, third example I would give is uh, uh, solar energy. Uh, we wanted to bring renew renewable energy, replacing uh, fossil fuel, 
kerosene oil. So we told people that forget about kerosene oil. And instead of spending the money on kerosene oil, you just put, pay the money that, uh, to us, exactly the same amount. We give you clean energy, renewable energy, uh, solar energy, elect to produce electricity. And you'll have electricity in your home, much better lighting than uh, you had ever had. People love that. And uh, we had a very good uh, market expansion from doing that. In the first four years, we crossed a million households by doing that and uh, as an economically sustainable way and so on. So this is a case where you are not preaching uh, solar energy. You are actually doing it uh, to solve the problem of uh, global uh, warming and, uh, and also benefiting the people. So there is a series of all those kind of uh, companies, one after another, hundreds of them. So, and there are some which is uh, uh, we've done with international, multinational companies, with Uniqlo, with Danone, with McCain, and so on. Thank you, Professor Yunus. And I hope that gives our audience a flavor of the possible um, options for them to look into when we talk about social business, because there's often a misunderstanding or misconception. But really, the examples that you've given us provide a range of opportunities. So hopefully, the corporates listening into this podcast will be able to get some inspiration. Now, allow me to move to the next question. You very famously said, Professor Yunus, that human beings are not money-making robots. We are caretakers of this planet, and ideally, the custodian of peace and harmony. Having said that, it appears to me that with the rate of poverty, unemployment, and environmental degradation, we have forgotten the basic values of humanity. How do we fix this? Again, we go back to the basic issue that I raised as a system-generated problem. Uh, system is designed in a way uh, it continues to harm the planet, harm the people. Uh, if you ask uh, yourself or anybody ask uh, why the global warming is taking place, who is doing it? Is it God angry that uh, it creates all the global warming for us? Uh, or some enemy is doing it for us? Uh, answer is no. We are doing it for ourselves because the way we design the framework of economics is continuously devastate the planet, devastate the, our environment. And we just turn our head and move on because we are told that making profit is the best alternative to uh, promote uh, well-being of the people. So they don't consider global warming and everything else that create, uh, which has adverse effect on people. Uh, they pay no attention to it. As a result, we come to a stage now, we are at the edge of the cliff. We are about to conclude our existence on this planet. In a way, um, uh, human being has become most endangered species on this planet right now. And when uh, COP26 was done in uh, Glasgow, scientists submitted a report saying that hardly you have two decades left um, at the best three decades before you reach the two point, uh, sorry, 1.5 degrees Celsius. So 1.5 degrees Celsius is the borderline. Once you reach there, uh, there is no turning back. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's irreversible, meaning that you have in the process, now you'll destroy yourself. No matter what you do, you cannot save yourself. So that's the window that we have, two decades or three decades and so on. But people are going around as a nothing will happen, all th these things happened in the past also, it's all kinds of explanation. 
it's not as bad as they are talking about. They are panic mongering, being a panic mongering. Uh, so even if uh, you think it's not going to happen, there's the slightest chance that might happen. We'll be doing everything possible to save ourselves and save the future generation on this planet and so on. So it's a kind of a situation where uh, we know what is going to happen, but you ignore it completely. Our house is burning, but inside the house, uh, inside this burning house, we are having parties, enjoying ourselves, telling us all kinds of stories to make us feel good. But the house will be demolished some completely. We don't pay any attention. So the same policy would be uh, to get out of the house quickly and stop the fire first before we get on the celebration part of it. Uh, that is something which is urgently needed and so on. So how to do that? Redesign the uh, system that we have. Uh, the present system is based on an economic uh, premises, on a set of economic premises, which puts uh, profit-making is the goal for the basic goal for the economy. So we are so entrenched with that goal, we forget everything else. Uh, in the process, uh, the system transformed all human beings into some kind of robots. All we do is, all we see is money. We don't see anything else. We don't feel anything else. Uh, as a result, we keep on uh, destroying uh, the environment which is conducive for us and make it adverse for us. Uh, and this is the direction that we are going. And not only global warming, the system generates more problems than global warming, like wealth concentration. All the wealth goes in one direction. It gets to the top few people, and the bottom people are empty. Their wealth doesn't stay with them. They just goes, it rushes to the top. So the wealth and the people distance is ever expanding. So the wealth is always rushing away from people, and only to a handful of people, smaller and smaller number of people, holding larger and larger of wealth. And the people, uh, in general, have no access to the wealth at all. That's an explosive situation. It cannot, it cannot be a tenable thing. And the third one, which is again part of this uh, uh, profit-centric uh, system, is the artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence is going to destroy us because it will leave no room for us. Human beings will be ousted from all economic activities. So they will become a sort of useless product on this planet. And um, it, that's not the kind of the world human beings would like to have for among themselves. Human beings are supposed to be the creator of the welfare of everybody else rather than be victims of their own creation. So we have to be very careful what we are heading for. So all three things are a major outcome of the system. In order to get rid of it, to answer your question, is to redesign the whole thing, reverse the whole thing. And instead of wealth rushing away uh, from people, wealth will be coming towards the people and stay with the people. So the people in the world should live together. Uh, there will be no question of global warming because we don't want to destroy the planet, etc. So that civilization, the new civilization that we want to create, will be based on human values, not on greed. Present civilization is based on greed. So we have to abandon this present civilization, abandon the ship. The ship is sinking. So we have to build the new ship, uh, which will new civilization, which will create a uh, system which is based on human values. And I try to describe it as a world of three zeros. Zero carbon emission, zero wealth concentration, zero unemployment.
and that's the direction we have to go. And that can be done. So I've demonstrated social business, entrepreneurship, and other issues, how to make it happen. So we're encouraging young people to create three zero clubs so that they become aware and they know that the, the solution is in their hand. It's all a question of their, them to decide that I want to create a world of three zeros. And all I have to do, make myself a three zero person. I do not contribute to all these three elements that I'm talking about. Then I become a three zero person. If I become a three zero person, I can create a three zero family. I can create a three zero villages, three zero cities, and then three zero world. That's the direction we try to make. Thank you, Professor Yunus. In fact, the wealth of the 10 richest men has doubled, while the incomes of 99% of humanity are worse off because of the pandemic Absolutely. alone. You, you see it all the time, but you ignore it. That's what I'm saying. You are celebrating in a burning house. You know that, but you ignore it. And the two decades that you mentioned just yeah. now is a very short very window. Short. Absolutely. It's a, in, in terms of global time, it's like a split second. It will be finished very soon. Absolutely. And, and recently, the population on Earth has reached 8, 8 billion, billion yes, people. Indeed. Yes, indeed. There is, no chance of, there is no chance of survival for us all if we continue to destroy the planet at the current rate. Absolutely. What is your message to policymakers and leaders of the world? Uh, I don't find uh, fault with the policymakers. I find fault with the uh, designers of the system. Uh, policymakers only follow what is the outcome of the design. Uh, design says you follow the path of profit. Uh, greed will be the solution for everything. And policymakers said, okay, if that's what it is, we'll follow that. Uh, policymakers are not uh, designers. They just follow what the, des the, pol uh, the designers have recommended. These are the outcome for the thing. And universities are the one who is promoting the existing design and passing on to the new generation. Uh, so there we say that Academic institutions pl can play a very important role in challenging this old system and creating the new system. And then pass it on to the policymakers. This is the way to save ourselves. Otherwise, we're in grave danger of extinct, making us extinct on this planet. So that's what we have to pay attention to. Uh, it's more on the designing side than on the policy side. Policy comes out of the design. So we talk about uh, redesigning and we bring up all these issues uh, what went wrong in the old system. Profit maximization is wrong. Uh, we are not saying that you throw it out. We are saying you make a space for another kind of business, business to solve problem. And we call them social business where there's no, no profit, personal profit motive. So they can coexist. And more desperate you are to, you are to solve the problem, more inclined you will be for social business because social business will save the planet and the other business will destroy the planet. So you have to make a choice which one you want. So what we are trying to do is to give options to people. And we are saying job creation is not the solution. Entrepreneurship is the solution. So encourage the entrepreneurship. So enter, create establishments who can support uh, entrepreneurship and so on. And financial institution as fault, it creates wealth concentration. So you redesign, uh, uh, financial system. You create social business banks rather than profit maximizing bank, which throughout the world is all profit maximizing bank. So you create another set of bank. I'm not saying shut down every bank t today. That's not possible. We, sh we cannot do that. But we can definitely start a whole parallel system of social business banks 
uh, and government can take this as a policy. If I'm giving one license for a uh, profit-making uh, bank, I give one license or two license for social businessmen because the controlling power is on the government. Government decides how many banks they will be, what kind of banks they will allow. Uh, if one commercial bank wants uh, permission from the central bank to open a branch, they will be said, okay, we'll give you the permission, but you create two social business branches. Then, of course, if you want, if you, if you want to make money, you have to do something uh, according to the des uh, design of the system so that you uh, create a social business bank. And uh, address the problem that we have. If, uh, uh, social businesses can address a whole range of uh, issues in unemployment, uh, poverty, healthcare, and many things. Thank you, and I hear you very loud and clear, Professor Yunus. So let's take a step back and, and go back to our university, Al Bukhari International University. As, as you mentioned just now, um, the policy comes from the designers of the system, and the designers are being born out of educational institutions. You are the Chancellor of Al Bukhari International University, and we acknowledge that higher education is in dire need of reform. At this university, we serve a cohort of incredibly bright scholars from 52 countries and seek to redesign higher education. Social business is a core and compulsory component of our curriculum. What are your thoughts in your capacity as Chancellor of Al Bukhari International University on how we can place AIU as a global reference point for social business? Uh, just one word, reform, I kind of feel uh, a little uneasy with the word reform because reform gives the impression it's a kind of a repair job. Uh, I'm saying that it's a discarding, it's not reform, it's beyond reform. You have to discard it, you have to create a completely new set of uh, institutions, policies and framework and so on. So that's where I emphasize and create a new system uh, which fundamentals will be changed. Uh, and at the same time, I offer options so that people don't get very nervous that uh, everything has to be shut down. I'm not shutting down anything. I'm simply saying that we'll, you have choices. Uh, this choice will lead you here. So if you want to destroy yourself, you continue in your path. If you want to save yourself, here's an option for you and so on. And that's where academic institutions become very important. That's where Al-Bukhari International University is very important. And it's, it's, it's unique in the sense it started with a mission. Uh, there are many universities with mission, usually religious missions and so on and so forth. But here we are trying to protect the planet and uh, make sure that this planet is safe, people are saved and so on. So um, we start with the basic principles, what we want to discuss, what are the options. So the young people understand the option. They can debate, discuss. Uh, they can uh, even uh, uh, try to protect the old system and so on, and why the new system is better. Uh, and out of that will gradually come the system very clearly, the new system very clearly to them. And once they are persuaded, they will go out a totally different person because they will not share with the rest of the world the same way that the previous generations have done. So uh, university can become a very unique university, giving leadership in uh, breaking away from the old system and creating a new system completely. Uh, so this is an opportunity uh, for Al-Bukhari University. And if uh, that kind of appeals the young generation, uh, then many other universities will follow. That uh, 
and Al-Bukhari can uh, kind of provide the leadership in the change of the mindsets of the people. It's all question of mindset that we believe in something, we don't want to give away from that. And now that you see this is working, this is going to save the planet, and uh, policymakers will come uh, to discuss how to start the process and so on. So that way, Al-Bukhari has a, a, a very exciting position to do that. And uh, Al-Bukhari itself has to be convinced that uh, this is the way to go and uh, make that happen. So education system is key, and Al-Bukhari is taking that responsibility to bring it to the education system. The future institutions, or even the present institutions, they, they may not shut down their university, they'll have parallel things. And we are encouraging the, all universities, no matter how stubborn they are in the, with the following with the existing system. Uh, we said, why don't you create a little corner in your university, uh, call it the Unit Social Business Center, and study this. And I'm not imposing, I'm not a government, I'm not a superpower to impose anything on you. Uh, you are free to decide what you want. But uh, since this is a new thought, you would like to examine it. And you can discard it every time it comes into a debate. You say, no, no, this is uh, uh, not going to work. But it's up to you. But you bring it to the students, let them debate, let them discuss. So they're going to go back uh, in implementation process when they face a problem. They say, okay, this one will work here. I can use this uh, because I have now new knowledge for myself. And, and since these are options, uh, nobody has to be discarded from anything. So uh, you have a better opportunity because you have two tools you to, to work. Uh, which tool you use, it's up to you. But the tools are available. To discuss the tool itself is not a good policy. So um, Al-Bukhari can uh, make that leadership and create uh, students. In order to create the students, you need a set of teachers. Because if the teachers are not convinced about it, they cannot communicate to the students. They will simply say, well, there's something else. You can read it. Uh, I don't feel, feel it very convincing. So the students will not be very attracted to that. So this set of teachers will have to be persuaded. They have to uh, feel that, yes, they believe in it, uh, and they want to pass it on to it. Or um, if not got totally convinced, they said, yes, it's something to be considered as an option. And I'll definitely talk about both. Uh, in an honest way, so that uh, students can pick up what is the right path to follow and so on. And university can also create examples to the students to become, I talk about creating entrepreneurship. So university can provide these young people who are coming here uh, to go out as entrepreneurs, basically, and then see, show that, yes, every single human being can be entrepreneur. And then they can create, they have an option to create money-making company or social business company. Let them decide what, which way they want to go. That's their freedom to choose. And come up with the examples. And um, Al-Bukhari can showcase all these examples and so on so that people take it seriously. It's not something casual, uh, interest in some new subject and so on. So these are the roles. And uh, definitely uh, Al-Bukhari uh, can uh, be a, a thought leader, uh, not only for academic world, making impact, and given the seriousness of the problem, uh, I think whole world would get around to see what they're talking about. Absolutely, and I just want to emphasize on something that you mentioned just now, because when we first started on this initiative, we always focused on the students. We started, right. of course, with the YSBC, right. and then we realized that there's no buy-in 
And when there's no buy-in, nothing no. moves. Nothing. So what we did at this university is we put ownership and accountability on the lecturers. Right. Any member of staff, academic, non-academic, must own one of the three zeros. And right. it starts with the board member. I own zero poverty. And right. similarly, my other board members will own one of the three zeros, right. and each member of the university will own one of the three zeros, no matter who you are in this university. And incentive mechanisms are then attached to that in right. the form of KPIs. Right. <laughs> because really, without no, this, it's built in. Absolutely. It's Word. Absolutely. Annual report, you write a few, few paragraphs on it and move on with the work. Absolutely, which is, which is what we don't want. That's right. So earlier in this conversation, we spoke about the micro level. To right. be a 3-0 person, to be a 3-0 family, right. to be a 3-0 village. I want to take a step back and look right. at the macro level. What are your hopes and aspirations for Club 3-0 in Malaysia and across the world? Well, I see good response. It just began uh, recently, this year. And uh, we now have 35 countries where social business uh, three zero clubs are formed, and uh, every month new form, new clubs are being formed, and we are hoping uh, that to reach thousand clubs around the world by the social business day. That's the kind of progress we see happening. And uh, if it is under thousand, we understand this, uh, but if we can make it thousand, I would say it's a very good speed. Uh, to make it happen. So our job is to see uh, not only they form the club, they feel the importance of the club in their own life uh, so that they can talk to each other, communicate with each other, inter networking with each other. So we want to create that excitement of sharing their experiences and uh, sharing their uh, uh, examples, inspire each other uh, across the globe. Uh, there are language problem, there are uh, cultural problems. They come across and the language and culture doesn't become a bar border for them. They go across each other and create a global network of people who want to uh, create the 301. So uh, from the club, if the, these uh, people, when they grow up, they could spread in many directions uh, in terms of their activity, in terms of their thinking process and how they share it with their family. Uh, because it's not limited to the person, it also expands to the family itself uh, to become three-zero families and so on. So uh, I'm very hopeful. Uh, it's all about what the young people think about their future. And luckily, young people are becoming more conscious about their future, and they see they have no future under the present system because uh, they see a dead end and it's finished, o over, their life is over. Uh, the question of their next generation is absolutely black, absolutely dark. So you have to see that uh, how they can energize themselves not to let that happen. Uh, ability to stop this process is in within their control and encourage them saying that uh, you have the most powerful generation. And if you decide something, you can get it done. It's a question of deciding it. If you decide, it can happen. Professor Yunus, as we speak, Qatar is hosting the World Cup. Sports is a great way to gather people regardless of race, religion, ideology, and political beliefs. You were a recipient of the Olympic L'Oreal last year, and I'm interested to know a bit more about the concept behind the UNOS Sports Hub. Yeah. You see, I've been talking about uh, sports as a power. Now, this is a good time to draw attention to that because of the World Cup. 
Wherever you go, people are talking about the World Cup. Who made the goal? How missed it? Who uh, uh, kind of a stupid guy? He did a stupid thing. And everybody's always talking on, on this little thing that they see on the screen. In the whole world, it's not just limited to particular group of countries, Latino countries or European countries or Asian countries. It's across the world. It's no matter what language, what religion, what neighborhood you have. Uh, I said, the thing, something uh, as simple as a football can get into the minds of people and inspire them to talk about it. They spend days and nights talking about it and watching it and fighting over it, um, crying over it. I said, it's a very strong power. But unfortunately, that power is only limited to use for commercial purposes. You want to sell products it, as, as, as some uh, opportunity they get uh, on this on the, uh, television. Immediately, you see somebody's trying to sell something because you are on the screen. They know that you are watching it. They want to push something, sell something. I said, that's the only use they have, they just selling some products uh, to your attention, to your emotions. Uh, so I said, that it has a tremendous social power. Nobody uses that social power. Uh, if in, in instead of selling uh, uh, whatever merchandise you are selling, uh, uh, if somebody says uh, social business is the only solution, what is this social business? Everybody will be curious about it because you have addressed billions of people in that particular moment. Uh, so how to attract them into that kind of thing? Uh, instead of just commercial, widen it. Make it, uh, this, use the social power of it. When I talked about it, uh, luckily many sports people responded to that, and particularly the Olympic, uh, International Olympic Committee, they invited me to speak to their board, and I did. They thought it's a great opportunity for them to use that power to, to start trying that. So we started trying that in, in the process. Uh, it came to a stage where uh, France uh, talked about creating, they were a candidate for Olympic 2024. Uh, they uh, invited me to talk about how to use Olympic as a social business. So I gave them ideas, they got very excited about it. And they submitted their proposal accordingly. And they got the approval that uh, Paris will be the venue for 2024. Uh, Olympic. So we are designing 2024 Olympic as a social business Olympic. Everybody said, what is a social business Olympic? So we gave examples. Now they are working on that. And they are very serious to create social business Olympic. And every Olympic uh, costs about 7 billion euro. Huge, huge amount of money. Uh, and I tell the uh, executive board of the Olympic Committee for Paris, I said the, the very simple uh, thing, they were asking me what they should do to make it a social business Olympic. I said very simple, uh, every time you sanction uh, any money for anything that you are doing for out of that 7 billion euro, always raise the question, what social benefit it brings by spending this like, euro that I'm spending? If you don't have any social value of it, don't do it. You have to invent what is the social value I have, I'll have by spending this money. Then you'll gradually build up the whole social business. Now they came out with lots of ideas and so on. So this is one example. And then uh, there are many Olympic construction they have made. Every Olympic creates a lot of construction work. Stadiums, swimming pools, housing, and so on. After the Olympic, everything is abandoned. Uh, 
someone will be putting them in auction, somebody will buy it in a very small price, or nobody buys it, it's abandoned. Many are falling apart. Nobody buys it, nobody owns it, just falling apart. All these investments they make. After Olympic, everybody forgets. There are many such establishments around the world which is falling apart. I said, why are you let it fall away? Let's convert them into social business. So what kind of social business? So we started working on uh, old structures that they built. First of all, they were using the uh, Pyeongchang. Pyeongchang had the uh, Winter Olympic 2018. So they built a lot of things. So we created a, a social business project there to use all these uh, facilities to create tourism, sports tourism in the area by using all the sports people who are retired or they don't have any uh, income for themselves. I said, this is work both ways. They will generate income for them, also utilize those resources which are left behind, and now can be very good instructions, institutions, and so on. They will have hotels, they will have uh, restaurants, and so on. Attract tourism, uh, have the tourists go around. as a beautiful area of Korea. Uh, so this is one ongoing thing. So there are so many other things uh, on that. So that's how uh, this was brought into the picture. And also, sports people has a very limited lifespan. Uh, if you cross 35, you're on the down. You're no longer, you may be hero of heroes, but after 35, it's a downswing. You, can, you cannot protect yourself. For every hero we make in the sports world, there are thousands and thousands of people who work so hard to get to that point. We never made it, because not everybody can get to the top. So lots of people uh, through the village competition or the city competition or the uh, district competition and finally to national competition and finally to global competition. So there are lots of layers. And at each layer, you're dismissing hundreds and hundreds of people. They are no longer uh, available. So it's a very frustrating life. They devote entire life in one single purpose, sports. And when it's over, they don't know where to go. They don't know anything. I said, that's a shame. They are very active people, healthy people, competitive people. Why don't you turn them into entrepreneurs? So now we have lots of programs uh, bringing money to them so that they can start uh, creating their own enterprises. Uh, they are very good at selling things because people know them. And particularly start with all the sports goods. You are a sportsman. You are familiar with all the sports materials you have. When you say this is good, everybody believes that it's good because you said it and you sell, you make money for yourself and so on. So we are trying to say that they, they are not frustrated. Many become drug addicts because they are so frustrated with their life, they don't achieve anything. It's that their end result is zero and they get very upset about that. So they get, they find solution in drugs and so on and so forth. So now we are trying to bring excitement for them so that they can successful life and became an entrepreneur. So this is the beginning of that idea. And uh, since IOC loved that idea, so they wanted to recognize me with the laurel that they gave Olympic laurel and so on. I think they couldn't have chosen a better person to repurpose all of that. Professor Yunus, you have led a life of meaning and inspired so many across the globe, including myself. What is your motivation to keep going and what legacy would you like to leave behind? Well, I have a ready answer for that. <laughs> I said, uh, the easy answer is what inspires me or anybody about the social business. I said that making money may be happiness, but making other people happy is a super happiness. 
uh, and I go further than that. I say it's a very intoxicating experience. When you touch people's life, uh, you can't get away from it. You want to do more uh, because it's such an experience that you, you have the capacity to bring some changes, positive changes in another person's life. Uh, and it makes you feel very happy that, yes, uh, you have that capacity or you have used your capacity to make that happen. Once you do that, you don't look back and go away from someplace else. You continue to do that because it's so exciting. I said, money has its excitement for whatever reason you have it. But uh, touching people's lives is more exciting than that. So that's what once you get into it, uh, hopefully you'll, share, you'll feel that excitement and continue to generate uh, in yourself and also others to uh, become examples of what happiness can bring to it. I'm going to take a slight segue and ask you a random question. What are your thoughts on the metaverse? Well, it's a kind of a virtual reality kind of thing. My standard answer on that virtual reality, or any technology for that matter, uh, technology is a wonderful thing. It makes things so much simpler than before, easy, quick. Uh, achievement is much greater with the technology which you can do that same person same time you get a lot more that's technology uh, as a technology is a wonderful thing to have but it can be positive it can be negative because technology doesn't have its own mind that's a very important lesson to remember technology doesn't have its own mind is the mind of the person who controls the technology gets things done in the way he or she wants. So the question of, is not the mega technology, virtual reality, whatever the technology is, it's a great thing, but it's a neutral. It doesn't have any, it's, you know, it just sits there until you ask them to do something. What you ask them to do something is you, what is in your mind. You say you can save a life by using any technology, including virtual reality and so on. Uh, you can design things, you save people, help people with virtual reality. Uh, at the same time, you kill people because you want to use the same technology, just the process is different. Kill and destroy, harm, harm bring harm to people. So, so whenever any technological issue comes, uh, I try to understand how it can be used for betterment of the people. Once I try to find out how much it can be done. At the same time, how then can, this can be twisted to undo everything that we have done and do more damages. Uh, so that's the most dangerous part of it. So we have to see both sides at the same time. It's not one side. One excitement is there. It's good excitement of uh, having a powerful tool in your hand. But that tool can be positive. It could be very negative. So I'll say the same thing for uh, virtual reality. Lastly, Professor Yunus, would you like to share something about yourself that not many people might know? I thought everybody knows everything about me. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's a, uh, people know about my childhood in the villages and so on. Then I came to the city uh, and my school life. And I went to uh, Jamboree, Scout Jamboree, when I was 15 years old and traveled a lot during the uh, traveled all over Europe and uh, 
with taking three microbuses was uh, 27 of us together. And that's an exciting experience. It took about six months for us to do that. That opened eyes for a 15-year-old watching the whole world in front of him. And so that's a very exciting thing. And uh, I always tinkered with things. And then I don't know what it is, but I always tinkered things. So that probably is something uh, led me to many other tinkering that I have done along the way, some uh, little tinkering. I used to, uh, when I was, uh, again, a teenager, or just beginning of teenage, uh, I was a, a bit uh, stamp collector. I would go anywhere to find a little stamp somebody has to collect that and see where it should fit in. So what happened to the stamp collection? Yeah. You still so have it? Yeah, uh, no, it, it, it moved on to other things. <laughs> so that, that uh, was a very, I thought, very exciting because that led me to see different countries. Because the stamp has a, its own excitement that uh, each stamp has some picture or something. And, uh, you try to find out, and you have an album, a stamp album, you find the country and put your stamp there. And there are <coughs> some rare stamps you don't usually get because I have to go to offices uh, to throw away envelopes to pick up the stamp, that's all. <laughs> and they knew me that he's trying to find some stamp, and somebody will keep it for me, that the kid will come, he'll collect it. So I was very uh, involved in that and something. And then, then sharing with others. I have too many of one, and he has something which I don't have. So, so you trade, you trade. So <laughs> trading becomes an important that. thing. So that uh, got me connected to uh, all the chain of stamp collectors, right. uh, sharing excitement about it and how many you have, how many he can trade with you and those kind of things. So that, that as another phase of my life. And the, and the scouting, of course, stayed on for a long time. Uh, went to jamborees and rallies. That helped me to see different places and different young people from different places. Uh, so that uh, uh, kind of exposed me. Otherwise, I was just a village boy uh, or came, moved to the city, but still very limited uh, corner of the city. Uh, but those opportunities gave me exposure to outside the home, outside the city, go to other places. Professor Yunus, you are my source. I used to draw cartoons, I used to do paint, all kinds of things. I tinkered with everything that comes in front of me, so I'll do that. And when I was in the, in the college, uh, I would uh, publish my cartoon in the uh, college journal. So uh, put uh, political cartoons and uh, social cartoons and so on. Uh, whatever I thought is there. Cartoon may be good cartoon, may not be a good cartoon, but I did it and people liked it. And that's one part, again, forgotten, wrong back. Professor Yunus, you are my source of inspiration. Thank you for inspiring me and thousands of youth across the globe to live a life of meaning. You truly are the greatest gift to humanity. Thank you for your time in joining me on this podcast. Thank you very much and wish you all the luck. Thank you. Thank you, Professor Yunus.